It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, broadcaster, journalist, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And to this end, in this episode, I was joined by Catherine Barnard, Professor of European Law at Cambridge University and Senior Fellow at the UK in a Changing Europe, and by Henrietta Engberson of the Swiss broadcaster SRF. Uh, I was very keen to get Henrietta on because there's been conflicting claims in this country about whether Switzerland has a border with the EU or not. So we clear that up and discuss whether Switzerland is a model for the UK outside the EU. Um, I was also keen to have Henrietta on this week while Wimbledon was on, as the most famous thing about Switzerland these days is Roger Federer. But I had to cut the chit-chat about all the sport because my World Cup prediction about England has rather been overtaken by events. Uh, Happily, as it turned out, I was significantly less confident about their uh, chances uh, a few weeks ago when we recorded this. And with events at Westminster... Uh, febrile this week, I think it's fair to say. Any interview with a politician was liable to be out of date within hours. So it's good to have Henrietta on dealing with facts. Uh, I'll be back at the end of this podcast to fill in some blanks. Uh, As you listen, you'll realise what the blanks are, or the significant blank. But we started with a rather blunt question. Here we go. Why isn't Switzerland in the EU? Well, to answer it with one word, it's just because, or not one word, one sentence, it's because they didn't want to. Well, they why had not? To, well, they had the possibility in 1992. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. They were even negotiating, Switzerland was negotiating with the European Union. Everything was ready. Well, for the, I have to say, the EEA. And. Um, that's, uh, that's the Norway, Iceland, Liechtenstein grouping. Okay, Okay. and and they were negotiating by that time, everything was ready, and then there was the referendum. That's normal, Swiss people can vote on everything, and then they said no. Right. And you could ask, why? Why are they saying that? Why, exactly. I think, like, one reason is that the Swiss, they were always quite independent. They always wanted to have close connections, economical connections with the European Union. Please, yeah, tell me if you think there are different points about it but I think they were always keen on having good economical connections but being very independent when it comes to political connections fine basically like Britain exactly that's what I understood as well originally it was like a bit the same for Britain when we see about the 70s that was why the EFTA Mm. came up where the Swiss is still part of right there the idea was to have economical uh, connections and good relations And I think that's one thing. So they want to be independent. And I think another thing is also that I think this political system in Switzerland with the possibility to vote on everything mm. four times a year would make it very difficult to be part <laughs> of the European Union. I don't know what you think about well. it. but <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting because we talk about voter fatigue here and one of the arguments against having mm. a, uh, another election is that the voters are... F- uh, are fed up. What was um, her name from Bristol? The um, Brenda from Bristol. Brenda, was that, that's right. You know, said you know. Oh no, not another. Here we go again. And is it is there the same reaction in Switzerland when you're out for the fourth time in a year to vote in yet another referendum? No, it's not. I think because with 
it's it's like it's like this since hundred like yeah, not hundred of years, but the idea of it that the people have the last last say on everything is a very old idea. Yeah. And you grow up with it that four times a year you're going to the poll stations and you have referendums. So you're constantly busy with issues. Mm. That's like being constantly busy with politics. Mm. And therefore no, it's 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 like part of of daily business. So that's what people are used to. And I think people like the idea to have a say on things, to have the last word on things. And I think it calls politicians, you say, like it calls politicians to account. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, is there, a, there must be a different approach to referendums because clearly we've had one referendum here or one big referendum in recent years. Well, we've had a number of big referendums in recent years, so that's not true. But <laughs> one in particular that we're focusing on, which is the Brexit referendum. Mm-hmm. And we're still arguing about who was lying you know whether any of it was actually worthwhile in terms of what people said was going to happen and all the rest of it so in switzerland is there a um well again it comes back to that sort of is there a more grown-up approach do people expect more facts i think so in a certain way you could say politicians have to be more reliable because Mm. imagine if you're saying one thing today you know uh like having a big big number on a red bus so many so much and so much pounds for the NHS and afterwards it's not true it's not sure is it true or not like three months later you have the next referendum Mm. everybody thinks like hmm I'm not gonna believe this politician anymore so you're constantly Mm. uh, you have to figure out is this politician reliable or not and therefore I I think that politicians in Switzerland have to stick a bit more to the truth you know we have difficult issues and sometimes you're not sure are they telling the truth or not but overall you have to stick a bit more to the truth brilliant more referendums catherine that's right repeat yeah we talk about repeat player litigants and so they build up experience (laughs) and clearly we need repeat repeat player in the referendum i mean this is one of the arguments about the brexit referendum that it was winner takes all and they could either side could win at all costs and there was no comeback unlike an election there is a comeback five years later you said x but you didn't do it um, and but in, re- in the in the case of Bre- Brexit referendum, one off, you say what you like. There's no accountability afterwards. Would it work here if we had more referendums? Is that a good idea? Well, I'm interested to know whether it, it, kids in school do they have sort of civics education, so they learn about the importance of getting educated and up to speed on the issues that they're going to have to vote on four times a year. Well, I think, yeah, 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 you're busy with the kind of things when it comes to, um, you know, lessons about democracy, about the political system in Switzerland. I think, like you learn it in Britain, how the political system works here, you learn it in Switzerland as well. And at a certain point, I remember in school, we were watching telly, you know, when it was about some, um, when it was, they had to elect the government. And, yeah. and that's always very interesting. And you watch telly during, during school time to see Whoa. about the results. So I think, yes, yes, you learn to deal with it and you learn to understand it. But then I have to say, it's a bit the same in Switzerland as you have here. The same issues like young people are not going to vote that much. You know, it's that, that's the same. It's not like everybody's very happy and everybody's yeah. going to vote. Very often, not that many people are going to vote. Might be 30% of people, sometimes 40 so okay. it's a slow turnout then. Yeah. Well, you, when you compare with other European yeah. countries and when they have a referendum. But nevertheless, it's never... A, question like was it the majority voted for something or against something so when we take when we take this referendum on um, being part of the EEA in 1992 yeah uh, the turnout was (laughs) 50.3 
<laughs> against it and 49.7 oh no so it's yeah it was even more narrow than it was yeah. here yeah but it was there's no question because it's although it's narrow it's you know if a majority says it's yeah. yes or no it's but, uh, but of course that was the status quo true the status quo one the status yeah. quo one in your case whereas in yeah. the brexit referendum of course it's, it's yeah absolutely it's a bigger step quo, yeah but bigger. there's no question here either let's be honest even though it's 52 48 we are leaving the EU. You know, mm. there's no question. I mean, I know people are arguing whether that's a hard or soft yeah. Brexit yeah. or all the rest of it, but nobody's actually saying, well, hang on, 48 people don't want to leave. Maybe we should take them into account. Mm -hmm. They've just been sidelined. Is that fair to but say? I think that's right. And I think, uh, and I think that's actually a problem going forward because you're building up a whole generation of people who feel disenfranchised in the way that probably a lot of the 52 had mm. felt disenfranchised before. I mean, I think what's clear, isn't it, that the the divide has not healed, and, and if anything, it's more stark than it was before. Just a little word about being divided. Mm -hmm. That's what I learned about the Swiss system. One of the reasons why it works quite well is that very often it's not always the same way that Switzerland is divided. Mm -hmm. Each time you have a referendum, there's a certain way of being divided. And sometimes it's between countryside and cities. Sometimes mm. it's divided between the eastern part and the yeah. western part. So very often you have different ways. Leaders, yeah. yeah, and that helps in the end to not yeah. have the idea like you have it now in Britain. Yeah. It's only like you, you feel like you're a remainer or you're a leaver. Mm. And yeah. you feel like all the topics, it seems like you're divided exactly mm. at the same mm. what, um, yeah, place kind of point don't the swiss have multiple identities anyway in a way in in that obviously there's different languages uh but different bits of the country are very different as you say there's, there's cities and countrysides and there's east and west and north and south and all this sort of stuff it's, it's a bit more of a i don't want to say it's patchwork but yes it's, it is and there is a certain awareness for it absolutely yeah. because swiss are so proud to have four languages you know when i hear about northern ireland about this discussions even like about should we uh, take more care of another language or not yeah. it's like not an issue in switzerland you could say like mm. they're so proud of having different languages and they also have a lot of power um in the different cantons that are the yeah. provinces mm. And so, therefore, as well, you have like a very patchwork yeah. thing in Switzerland because the cantons have a lot of power to do their own stuff. So yeah. again, it's like like a lot of different areas and people with different ideas are coming together. Just got it all right, haven't they? Basically, they've worked, <laughs> they've worked it out. It's I mean, it's the it's the punt. It's the I should have looked it up beforehand. It's the old third man joke. What's the punchline? Uh, in the third man, Switzerland have had a thousand years of democracy, and what did they ever produce? The cuckoo clock. The cuckoo clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> It's an edit. Someone said something boring or illegal. Maybe told some slanderous story about Boris Johnson. You'll never know. Right, this really shouldn't be a hard question, but apparently it is. Does Switzerland have a border with the EU? Well, I can answer that in one word. Yes. Yes, there is a border. And... The border, there are a lot of border guards also, and we have a lot of crossing points. I was just looking up these numbers, and in Switzerland we have about 600 crossing roads of crossing points yeah. across the border. Mm -hmm. And when you compare and have a look at Northern Ireland and Ireland, there's about 400. Yeah. And when you see it in Switzerland, you have about 2,000 border guards who right. control these borders. Okay. And the reason why some people are writing there's no border is because if you're a private person and you cross the border, yeah. you're not controlled systematically. Okay. So you can drive with your car yeah. and they're not controlling systematically, not anymore. And the reason for that is, just to mention, it's because we are a part of the Schengen area. Yes. That's more of your business. Yeah. Um, but there is a very visible border when it comes to lorries and goods. Okay. Each lorry has to stop at the border. 
Right. And you stay there for a few seconds only if you pass Switzerland. Right. And if you have goods who go into Switzerland or you have goods that come out of Switzerland into the European Union, yeah. then you have your papers uh, okay. to, you know, to fill in and all that. So you have to go into buildings. There is infrastructure at nearly all of the 600 crossing roads. There is a certain amount of infrastructure. Sometimes it's only a surveillance camera and sometimes they're big buildings. So okay. even the Swiss haven't, with all of their technological skill, haven't managed to produce a genuinely frictionless border without any physical infrastructure. You could say yes. Yeah, and I think it's it's also because well, Switzerland is not part of the of the customs union, so there is paperwork to do. So oh. and infrastructure, right. which of course absolutely. is absolutely you need for, infrastructure for, for, for Northern Ireland. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, then, is Henrietta just wrong, or I'm assuming she's right? So why is everybody so confused, Catherine? Why are we getting people saying there is a border or there isn't a border? I are they purposely mixing things up? I think there's some truth in that. I think because it, it, private individuals can move quite freely because of Schengen. Which will happen in Ireland, because we will probably have a free movement, because we've had free movement with Ireland going back to 1920 or something like this. Possibly that's true. We don't but know. It's, but but the, the real problem for Northern Ireland, and what Henrietta just very helpfully explained, is yeah. that... Um, there's no technological solution yeah. which doesn't require some sort of physical infrastructure on the border and doesn't require policing of some form. We've talked, we've heard about the 2000 um, customs cards. Now, that's the real problem for Northern Ireland, which is different between the Swiss and France, for example, because there hasn't been 2000 deaths yes. um, on the Swiss-French border yeah. in the last 30 or 40 years. And so, and, and the, the problem is for Northern Ireland, as the Chief Council of Northern Ireland has said so clearly, the moment you have infrastructure, it becomes a target. Right, so why, what is wrong with the Swiss? Why have you not invented the magic robots? Because apparently, according to the levers, there are magic future robots that are going to mean that you can have a frictionless border. Well, so, are the Swiss just a bit lazy? Are you, are you not looking into magic robot technology? And we are. Is exactly. that what's going on here? Well, to be honest, when I heard about this magic technological yeah. solution, I was like very keen on hearing details on it. Oh, I'm yeah, still the looking are, yeah. for the, I'm, I'm still wondering where the details are. And I think it's working quite smoothly in Switzerland. You know, you can do it even with an app. You can prepare your papers as a okay. lorry. You can do a lot of stuff with technology and yeah. uh, with an app and, and, and all that stuff, but still yeah, the lorries have to stop and do their paperwork. Yes, and it works quite smoothly. But sometimes, yes, you have a traffic jam. And I think even the Swiss, yeah, it means like it works quite smoothly. That's the way it works, I, I would say. I think the Swiss are committed to getting as many lorries through in about two minutes or under two minutes as possible to try and speed up the, uh, yeah. the process. But the fact is that they still have to stop and they have to stop at buildings. And that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the problem for yeah. the Northern Ireland border. Yeah. Exactly, um, and also it's a problem, I think, for the for the b b essentially the border between Dover and Calais, because there is, there will be mm. traffic jams, and there is just no space around Dover for having some mm. sort of car park because yeah. the, the portrait Dover is hemmed in by the sea on one side, the town on the other, and the White Cliffs on the other. Um, well, I refer you to the uh, Anne Marie Trevelyan episode of this podcast, which said, "Well, we'll just go through Lowestoft instead. Doesn't have to be Calais. There's lots of other ports." That's true. But well, there we go. There's the answer, isn't it? Just forget about Cali. Well, why are you so focused on Cali? It just well, happens it, to be it, the it, most busy port in the world. And the fact is, it's got the shortest distance between there and France, and to go yeah. from Lowestoft adds a bit. I mean, it'd be good for the, the people of Lowestoft. 
Would it? Have all those lorries going through, parked up. I don't know, I've never been through those tunnels. Lovely beach. Is it? Okay. I think well, it's going to be rude by all the lorries if they're all queued <laughs> up along the beach. It's not going to be good. I think that just don't underestimate the idea that something will change from one day to the other. You know, when you compare with Switzerland, they had years, you know, to, yeah. to smooth growing. And each year, you, I think nearly each year, the, the amount of lorries is increasing. But then, sure. you know, you, you, you can have a certain year prediction. How is it going on? Building something, you know, an extra parking area or something. So and I think the idea of changing something from one day to the other is, is really not comparable with Switzerland. That's because you haven't got magic robots. That's your problem. That's true. If you've got magic robots, well, they work overnight. As soon as they have the magic robots... Well, we're not going to have them. They're special British magic robots. That's, well, that's why it's different. You know, the funny thing is, as far as I understood and heard, is that there's a lot of um, exchange and um, communication going on between civil servants in Britain and civil servants in Switzerland, mm. especially when it comes to customs authorities. Yeah. So it seems that the Brits are uh, in, in well in close contact with the way Swiss are doing it. Okay. So... Um, I'm not sure if the Brits will come up with a magic robot and then they sell it to Switzerland. Does it speak to wider issues? Perhaps we've discussed it in Catherine as well, in the sense that there's that thing of Britain, I know I'm generalising, doesn't really, hasn't really understood Europe. You know, in that a politician can stand up and say, there's a border in Switzerland and there's nobody who can sit around him and go, no, that's cobblers and let me explain why, because nobody's bothered to pay any attention to whether there's... I think there's some truth in that. And of course it is complicated because the Swiss arrangements are different to the EA arrangements, are different to the Turkish arrangements. Mm. And so all of that needs to be needs to be factored in. And also, of course, in a, a two-minute interview as opposed to a, a 20, 30-minute interview, yeah. there isn't really time to come back on each point that's raised. And of course, the politicians know that, so they get away with making confident assertions, which can only be checked out later on. And yeah. of course, by that time, mm -hmm. you know, the politician's on to the next interview. Yeah. And does it speak to another issue, perhaps, more widely about Brexit, which is, you know, I'm sort of joking about it, but this idea that it, it's a faith, essentially. It It'll is. be fine. At the Irish border, there will be magic robots. I, mean, I use that phrase, but that's genuinely what they seem to be talking about is some sort of mystery uh, technology somewhere down the road. And it will be fine. You know, just have faith, even though the evidence is perhaps... Uh, lacking. I think what's really striking to me about all of the debates is how little they have to do with evidence. There's actually now, I mean, there's a substantial evidence base. The select committees have been doing a very good job collecting evidence from all quarters. They've talked to the Swiss, they've talked to the EU, they've talked to the EA. So they actually have a good idea about what's going on. But Brexit isn't about evidence. Brexit's about ideology, it's about faith, and it's about your world view and so that's why each time the remainers come back and say but it's going to cost more than the, than this or it's there's going to be no brexit dividend it it, it it just falls on deaf ears it doesn't swing the nature of the debate it's very weird and i see i did i studied history and i remember who was it would it have been jean Mar john monnier or something like that came over to talk to hugh gate school and convince him to get behind the whatever it was then eec yeah. And I think it was gate school when he famously said the, the European whoever it was you know because they're all the same said you have to have faith Mr gate school and he said I don't believe in faith I believe in facts and you have not shown me any and, and, and yet here we are 50 60 years later and so we're, we're in about faith and not facts turned on its head I think when I can try to compare with Switzerland I think as soon as the issues become complicated 
and mm-hmm. maybe I, I, I slightly turn now to the relations, relationship between Switzerland and Brussels, yeah. which is complicated as well. Yeah. And topics between Switzerland and Switzerland, uh, between Brussels and Switzerland are complicated. Very quickly, you have kind of the same issues with politicians. That some of them just, you know, try to argue in a, in a way that you think like, hang on a minute, this is not the way Brussels works. And it, you know, because in Switzerland, a lot of people don't really know how Brussels works. No. You can quite mm. long time, you can go on with it. So they still blame stuff on Brussels. Yes, well, I think overall the the whole relationship between Switzerland and Brussels is a bit complicated. You yeah. know, it's it it's it's okay, and we they had their ups and downs, and very often um, when it comes to Brussels, it's it's really w- one politician says one thing and another politician says another thing. And it's very difficult for, for people in Switzerland to control which one is, has it right. Has, has Brexit complicated relations between the EU and Switzerland further? It did in a certain way. Well, um, in the first time after the Brexit referendum, the Swiss thought, they did a survey uh, in Switzerland, but an opinion poll, what mm. people think about uh, Brexit. The Swiss were quite positive. They thought, well, it will strengthen the, the um, relations between Britain and Switzerland. The idea of, well, not being the only one in Europe, being sometimes a bit yeah. critical about Brussels. Now there's a big partner. Mm. In the meantime, they realized it makes relations with Brussels much more difficult mm. because for a long time, Switzerland, Brussels had kind of a soft hand on Switzerland. You know, they could right. get some extras. You could even say some cherry picking was possible. Yeah. Because Brexit, uh, Brussels always thought Switzerland could become a member sooner mm. or later. Yeah. So we can be very kind with them. Yeah, okay. mm. And now with with Brexit, mm. it's more like a power play. It's yeah. Brussels want to show, well, hang on a minute. We're not giving something to Switzerland because we're not giving something to the Brits as well. Mm. It's like mm. like Switzerland is used as a warning for, for Britain sometimes. So it seems they're a bit tougher to show we are tough, to show to the Brits as well we are tough. But isn't the flip side of that, I've seen some... European polling recently about you know countries across Europe and the outlier is Switzerland who are very keen on Brexit or relatively keen compared to the rest of European countries. Um, isn't that isn't that the flip side that the Swiss have now got uh, a big brother coming in the room? They've had some issues with Brussels naked. I go ah look here comes our, our big brother with his big stick, uh, and now there's two of us. Um, you know you have to take it a bit more seriously. You think well I'm not sure if it works at the moment. I think because it's Britain is so much struggling with itself. I think it's not working. Okay. It might work maybe in the long Somewhere term. Down the line, Who knows? Yeah. And there's no obvious cultural link, particularly, is there, outside of Wimbledon? Um, you know, I can't think of any particular cultural link between Switzerland and, and Britain. I mean, you know, they've not. You know, <laughs> we've well, been however many hundred miles we're all in Europe and all the rest of it. But there's well, no obvious. I mean, obviously, you know, for a lot. Let's face it. When we're talking about Europe, the war comes into it a lot. Obviously, Switzerland sat out that. Uh, there's no language you know you sort of think well with Norway perhaps you know there's the Shetlands are nearer Norway than Scotland there's some sort of geographical we're next to each other there's some sort of link there there's no obvious historical link between Switzerland and Britain I can think of is there? well there's if to get a bit of the um, there's some links let's say it like yeah. that for example the the tourist link like mm-hmm. Brits are very keen to go on holiday in Switzerland yeah. the other way around as well yes so that's I think the Brits invented more or less the idea of going up to the mountains mm-hmm. and climb on into the hills yes. and all that yes. 
So, well, it's a bit of the short version of it, but uh-huh. the, yeah. the idea. And they're very important trading partners for each other. When it comes to exports, uh, I have it here. One of the top 10 trading partners for the UK when it comes to exports, after the United States, after the European Union, yeah. it's Switzerland. Really? Yeah. And the other way around, it's a bit the same. For Switzerland as well, you have Germany is the most important when it comes to export. Then it's um, the United States of America. And again, after that, it's the UK. Okay. So and when I talk to people in the embassy and also in Switzerland, you realize Switzerland is very keen on being the first ones to get an agreement, a free trade agreement yeah. with the Brits. Very often here, everybody's talking about Australia, mm. New Zealand, yeah. Canada. Yeah. But as far as I hear, it's it's the Swiss who are kind of getting everything ready, knowing a lot about what they have to have ready, mm. because they're you know they're quite they have a huge knowledge when it comes to free trade negotiations, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Mm. So they're really ready to be on day one to say this is our free trade agreement. Are they are they lending any of their free trade negotiators to the Department of International Trade? Well, good question. I should ask the, <laughs> the ambassador next time. I don't know about that, but for sure, as I mentioned before, the connections are quite close at the moment. There's a lot of exchange going on. And, you know, in Switzerland, you, just imagine that Switzerland has never been part of the European Union. So over all these years, when it comes to negotiating, yeah, it's, it's like a big machine. And Switzerland used this machine all these years. So mm-hmm. there is a lot of knowledge. And Britain didn't have to use machine yeah. when nope. it comes to it. So there's no knowledge, or not no, but not, uh, not that much. So of course, there's a lot of things that they can learn from Switzerland. Could I ask one question about free movement of persons and mm. people? Because of course, you had that referendum, yeah. um, Good which point. essentially rejected yeah. uh, free movement. And then there's been a sort of compromise of some sort. How's that working? It's a bit of a f- fudge solution, you could say. It's, I think, to, to explain it a bit, I think in Switzerland, there were the same fears or you have the same issues as you have in Britain when it comes to immigration. Overall, people in Switzerland think there are too many people coming into Switzerland. Immigration is, uh, well, it's just the numbers are too big. That's why they voted, we want to stop uh, immigration. We want to have quotas. That was an issue because it's not it's it, it doesn't work with the freedom of movement of people mm. so therefore it is actually kind of the first times well now i'm not sure it's the first time but it's for sure it was an issue because how to deal with brussels you know because mm. quotas when it comes to immigration is not comparable with the ideas of freedom of movement so then they they did find a solution which means that um companies they have to kind of, um, how could you call it? Local, local hiring, isn't it? Exactly. Preferential local hiring. Preferential local hiring. Mm-hmm. So it means you have to give preferential to, to somebody who is living in Switzerland. I would say overall, a lot of people are not very happy with the solution. A lot of people realize that's kind of a fudge mm-hmm. as you. The, way, the, the word I learned quite quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good word. Yeah, <laughs> it's a kind of a fudge solution. Yeah, so but that was really it, it took them two years to find a solution. That's very rare uh, that it's so difficult with a, re- with a referendum. Can I just ask you one, Catherine, which I probably should have asked you right at the top, really? <laughs> to what extent is Switzerland the model for the UK post Brexit? From the UK's point of view, it might be a model post Brexit, but from the EU's point of view, it is not <laughs> because the way that the Swiss arrangement has worked, it's evolved through bilateral agreements, so I think there's about 120 of them, mm-hmm. it's cumbersome, 
um, it's difficult to change and as we s we've already seen that uh, it might work for a relatively small com country like Switzerland but it won't work for the UK and the EU has never liked the way it, it operates and also they've never liked the fact that the Court of Justice doesn't have um, no. a jurisdiction over these agreements. There have been moves to try and have some sort of access to the Court of Justice because they are concerned about governments, governance arrangements, all the issues that the UK is currently walking into. So there are uh, lessons that might be learned, but it's certainly not an off-the-shelf solution. <laughs> Best thing! Worst thing. Let's finish off with the features. The best thing and the worst thing, first of all. What's going to be the best thing about Brexit? Well, I'm not looking into the future, but at the moment, for me, the best thing about Brexit is that there are a lot of work for the people who create cartoons. And oh. every morning, I'm keen on looking in the newspapers to side with the new cartoon. And it very often explains a lot. So it even helped yeah. me mm -hmm. for some TV reports. That's actually, at the moment, I think there's enough work for the illustrators to create cartoons. That's actually <laughs> the good thing about who's your, Brexit. Who's your favourite cartoonist? Um, which is the one from the... Steve Bell. Okay. Ah, okay. Matt, Matt is mine from the Telegraph. Oh. Is, uh, well, they're very different, aren't they? Yeah. They're very brilliant at what they do, but very different. And the worst thing about Brexit? The worst thing about Brexit is... Just this week, I learned from a German journalist that people in Europe don't want to read anymore about Brexit. So it seems oh. that surveys show that, you know, when you look, what do readers look at in newspapers? What do they read online? It seems Brexit stories are not that, you know, not that interesting anymore for people. I think that Brexit is taking so long and it's so much, of, you know, so complicated mm. that nobody in Europe wants to read it anymore too say it a bit in a short way and for me as a journalist that's that's quite an issue you know it's much more difficult to sell mm. the whole brexit and finally in the unlikely event that this podcast was not sufficiently enlightening which i think is the name of this feature in the unlikely event this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently uh what do you recommend i want to understand brexit everybody that listens to this wants to understand brexit where do we go what do you point us towards well, I saw there are already a lot of recommendations. Yeah. So I was thinking of one that for me, coming from abroad, was very helpful. And yeah. it was when I was in Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland mm. taking um, a cab tour. Along a what the, tour? Uh, with a cab, a taxi a oh, driver. Okay. <laughs> yeah. along, along the walls. Oh, yeah. And then you can ask the cab driver everything about oh, okay. his past. And since then, I understood the whole issue with the Northern Ireland conflict and I understood what it has to do with Brexit nowadays and the whole issue about the border. Because before I didn't get the clue, what's the issue about having something along the border or not? And okay. since I was there, I understood it. So since okay. then, I, I got the clue about Northern Ireland and the whole Brexit thing. So all politicians should go to Northern Ireland and Take get a taxi. Yeah, cap tour, <laughs> absolutely. In Belfast or even better in Derry. In Italy, for 30 years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. That's the quote. That's the quote from Orson Welles in The Third Man. 
Is he on the Ferris wheel when he says that? I can't remember. Um, I've been to Vienna and I've been on that Ferris wheel. It's pretty rubbish, to be honest. Uh, Vienna, though, I can heartily recommend as a place to visit. And talking of recommendations, see how smooth that was. You may have noticed that Catherine Barnard didn't give us a recommendation on that episode. That was entirely an oversight on my part. I'm afraid we were a bit short of time uh, and I basically forgot, uh, which is not bad in 20 episodes to only forget once. But of course, I got in touch and got her recommendation that she had prepared after the event. And I can reveal that her recommendation is to read Ivan Rogers' speech that he made in Glasgow in May. Ivan Rogers is the UK's former ambassador to the EU, former top diplomat, and he set out, or at least he titled his speech, The Real Post-Brexit Options. And uh, he made very similar comments uh, to the speech as part of a UK in a Changing Europe panel in Paris recently, uh, which Catherine was part of. I didn't get invited to that, I'm afraid. Um, but, you know, looked nice. Uh, I am going to Paris next month, though, so, you know, I'm not that sad. You can watch that panel. You can't watch me on holiday, but you can watch that panel on the UK in a Changing Europe Facebook page, which equally smoothly brings me on to ways to get in touch. You can get the UK in a Changing Europe via their Facebook page or on Twitter. They are at UK and EU or their website is UK and EU dot AC UK. I am at Political Yeti on Twitter or you can get me through my website, which is James dash miller uh, miller with an a james dash miller.com and you can see all the recommendations there up to now and you can see all the previous podcasts as well actually if you go in the right tab obviously yeah please do get in touch this has been the brexit breakdown podcast from the uk in a changing europe supported by king's college london and funded and supported by the economic and social research council come back in two weeks for another episode, I've been James Miller, and the music has yet again been Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra. Thank you. Thank you.